1: Hey guys, welcome back to Foul Play. I have Gemma here and we have a friend named Liz. So Gemma, I'm going to go ahead and hand this over to you.
2: Hi everybody. Good to be back again with my buddy Shane. Teddy's here. So if you hear some little whimpers, that's going to be him. Our guest tonight, I say this every time. This is an incredible story and it's one that you are not going to expect. And we are very fortunate to have one of my new besties, Liz on the line, and I'm going to tell you who she is. She is one of the medical assistants that worked for Dr. Christian Richter. And if you saw the keepers, you know who that man is. So with that, we're going to say hi to Liz. Hey, Liz. Hey, how are you, Gemma? We're good. And Shane, he has the first question.
1: All right, Liz, could you tell us about what your education is and your medical background?
3: I went to Catholic school most of my life, went to Catholic High from there, Kenwood. And then I started to go to school over at St. Joe's. They had a nursing program over there. Anyhow, I ended up somehow mixed within there and I ended up working through family, through Dr. Richter. My mother was a patient of Dr. Richter's. He was a partner with Dr. Nell at the time. And then one of my sisters ended up working for Dr. Nell, and I ended up with Dr. Richter. I don't even really, if I look back, I can't even remember how I even got into that practice. I just fell into it. That actually leads right into the question I have. When and where did you work for Dr. Richter? I started with Dr. Richter off of Philadelphia Road. It was his Chesico office out in Chesco Avenue in Baltimore County. It was Chesco Avenue off Philadelphia at the corner. It looked like a big pharmacy. And in the basement of the pharmacy was a doctor's practice. And it was primary care, the OBGYN. I believe there was even a dermatologist there, if I remember right, and a psychiatrist there as well. And Dr. Richter was in practice with Dr. Nell and something had happened between the two of them. Can't tell you. No one's ever spoken of it. I have no idea what the history is between the two of them but they were extremely close and they split up the practice. Dr. Richter worked on one side of the building. Dr. Nell worked on the other side of the building, never spoke. And then after that, he ended up opening the office out in Towson, out at St. Joe's in the professional building. So when you worked for him, was it at the hospital or in his office? It was in his office, first at Jessica, then at St. Joe's in the professional building down. It was down the hill from the hospital the red brick building.
2: I want to clarify for our listeners what Liz is referring to as St. Joseph's Hospital. And if you all remember, we've done some podcasts with folks who went to St. Joseph's Hospital and had surgical procedures done by Richter, which were logged on insurance documents as DNCs, but were actually illegal abortions. So... While Liz is working in his office, he had admitting rights to St. Joseph's Hospital, which was like right next door. You could just walk out. Oh, you sure. Door,
3: right. That's correct. You could go literally walk right up the hill into the hospital. It was very convenient for them because they could be at the hospital within moments, literally.
1: Liz, what is a medical assistant? What was it that you did in his office?
3: Besides checking patients in, pooling charts, typing doctor's notes, things like that, I would assist the doctor in the back office. Because it was a GYN office, OBGYN, by law, you had to have an assistant in the room with them. The doctors could talk to the patient in the room as long as the patient was clothed. But as soon as you stepped out and told them to undress, at that point, the doctor could not go back in the room without an assistant. And the assistant stayed the whole time until he walked out of the room. Now, when we tracked over the last year, I guess, Liz... You told me
2: that he had a very unusual office layout. Not only did he have offices on the floor where you would enter, but he had special
3: private office. The doctor's office itself was a normal layout. What was unusual about it was exactly what was on the floor that the patients were seeing was an exact replica underneath that no one used. And how would somebody enter that basement? Was it below ground? You would get, it was below ground. So you would come into, if you came into the front building, I'm trying to close my eyes and pictures, you would come through the front office. We were on the, it was a two-story building. So if you came in on the, I'm trying to think it was like a longer building. If you came in on the one side of the building, you came in on the first floor. If you came on the opposite side of the building, you came in on the second floor. We were on the first, came in, I'm trying to remember, there was one office, I'm trying to think which doctor's office it was. We were like the third office down, if I remember correctly, but right next to past our door, the next door down was a door that opened that had a staircase to the upstairs, but it also had a staircase to the downstairs. It was like a hallway staircase, like if you were in a, in any kind of building, you know, the back you know, like an escape route almost. And the stairway would go downstairs and it dropped dead, ended at a door that had no, nothing on it. It strictly opened by key. There was no office. And when you opened it, it was a complete replica of upstairs.
2: Interesting. Now, is Richter the only one
3: that used that suite of offices downstairs? No, he was in a group of practices. It was him, Dr. Furman Barreto, Dr. Adelma Warania, who I believe they're all retired at this point. There was also a couple other doctors periodically through the years that I had been there that they had bought in. But at the time that Dr. Richter was there, he had joined and came into a practice with Dr. Barreto and Dr. Maranya.
1: Liz, what were some of the incidents that you witnessed in the office that made you feel uncomfortable?
3: I didn't like the idea that when he would go into the office, he would talk to the young women, which was normal. He would come out and when we would go back in, when the patients were head undressed, put the gowns when we go to go in. And he would say, that's okay. I don't need you. And I'd be taken back because I thought that's wrong. And I was extremely stupid and very naive that I didn't give a patient the thought. I was worried about the doctor. I was very naive at the time because I thought, oh my God, I because I addressed it to our office manager at the time. And I said, he's going to get in big trouble. He can't do that. It really bothered me because I thought, You know, what if those women said he did something to them? I never thought about the patient. I thought I protected my the doctor. I was very upset because I thought something, he could get really in big trouble. He could lose his license. And I addressed him. And at the point when I went to the office manager, I got told, mind my own business. Be quiet, mind my own business. And it wasn't the first time I did it on many occasions and I was put in my place very quickly. But I was very uncomfortable. I can remember going home and talking at the dinner table about how upset I had been, that I knew that was wrong. But back in that day, what did you do? Nothing. Did other medical assistants work in that office, Liz? Each doctor had our own medical assistant. Each Dr. Richter had his own. Dr. Moranya would have his own. Dr. Beretta would have their own. We would share back and forth. It could have been any one of us. It was three or four of us at the time. But normally we would say I was with Dr. Moranya and with Dr. Richter. Another one would be with Dr. Brett. and we could switch on and off, but never, not once did that occurrence ever happen with the other physicians, only Dr. Victor. Do you remember if any
2: of the other medical assistants witnessed or were told to leave the room? If they did, no one said a word. And you said that you went to the office manager, correct? Yes, ma'am. Can you name names? Her name is Lee Monroe. Lee Monroe. Okay. And so what does an office
3: manager do? She was the one that overlooked us girls, kept everybody in line and made sure, I guess, the books were taken care of and whatever needed to be taken care of. That's what she did.
1: In our ongoing journey, dissecting real-life mysteries, I've found a perfect companion in a game that not only captivates, but also lets me step into the shoes of a detective in the glamorous 1920s, June's Journey, As someone who's delved deep into the game, playing through the intriguing scenarios of June Parker, I can personally vouch for its immersive experience. In June's journey, you unravel the mystery of June Parker's sister's murder. Each scene is a visual and intellectual puzzle, with hidden clues scattered across beautifully crafted locations. What I've enjoyed most is the depths of the storyline. Each chapter peels back a layer of this thrilling narrative, revealing danger, mystery, and romance. Besides the allure of solving mysteries, the game lets you design and customize your own luxurious estate island. Building my estate has been a delightful escape, offering a creative break from the intense narratives we tackle on the podcast. For those of you who enjoy the blend of history, mystery, and narrative depth we explore on this podcast, June's journey offers a chance to live out those elements in a beautifully interactive setting. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android and join me in this ongoing quest to uncover hidden truths and solve complex mysteries.
3: So was she a medical person? Was she like a practitioner? I believe, if I remember right, she was a nurse. Okay. She was a nurse that took over. But I thought it was always very odd that I had been there for so many years and we thought there were a num- numerous one of us girls that were there that we thought would step up and take place when our office manager left. And Lee Monroe was bought in, which was very odd. And we were all a little bit put out. Why wasn't one of us? We had the seniority in. Who was this that just came in. But Dr. Richter and her were very, very close. Very close. What do you mean? Give me an example. They just would meetings together and closed roomed Meeting and closed room, but but of course it was they were talking about the practice. I'm sure, or who knows? Let's put it this way: a lot more friendlier than the rest of us all were. You talked
2: to me about other adults that came in to the
3: office that were not there for treatment. Did he? Was he strictly OBGYN? Did he treat? He was OBGYN, but he had retired from the OB part, so he was strictly towards the end. He was doing GYN up until retirement. So would he typically have male
2: patients? No, never. Okay,
3: never. But gentlemen would bring these young women in. Tell us about that. There were numerous men. I can't remember who they were. Couldn't tell you what they looked like, but I know they would bring them in. They would go back, talk, and then we would be dismissed. Or they were taking place after hours. Mostly always after hours, like at the end of the day, he would come and say, I have so-and-so coming in. I have a friend coming in. Or he'd say a name or there's usually a friend coming in. And he'd say, we don't need, we would hurry it up, be cleaning and all. And he'd say, I got it. I got it. Go lock up. I got it. And so dismiss, us to leave for the evening. So you would
2: be typically cleaning up, examining rooms and whatever. Oh, absolutely. He's, because
3: we had to sterilize everything. You. And he's telling you, don't bother. I got it. He would say, just hurry it up, finish what you're doing, and I'll lock up. Okay. Did you witness the girls coming in several occasions? Yeah, that's what upset me. And
2: do you remember anything about them, their behavior, or how they
3: acted, or what it was like? Did you see them leaving? It? it would be hard to say how they acted. I, I just know they were very quiet, never spoke. What ages? They were very young. They were very young. I always just assumed I was very naive and thought they must be counseling them. Because back then, birth control was very kind of taboo kind of thing. And I just thought they were being counseled. Or that's what I was led to believe. By Richter? By Dr. Richter. And whoever was bringing them in. I don't know who they were bringing them in. I just know it was men. There were several occasions priests came in. Okay, tell us about that don't know who they were, don't remember. All I know is there were two priests that would bring them in, the girls in, that I thought was very odd. During the day or evening, it was usually always in the evening, right before we were closing, or he would say they were coming in and they would get in and we would say, Dr. Richter will be right in, be with you. Dr. Richter would come in and he'd dismiss us. You said there were two priests and I'm not going to ask
2: you if you recognized either one of them. When I you wouldn't it, be it, able to recognize, recognize be, them in a line. Never right. in years. Did they check in? Did they check in at the desk? Would it, no know,
3: Did they come in through the office or through the hallway outside? They came in through the front. Okay. But on several occasions, Dr. Richter would motion for them, which I do remember that he would motion for them to go back out in the hallway, come around, and come down the other doors to come down the staircase. Okay. And, and think, that was yeah. really strange. Right. Because we never used that office downstairs. And that's where they were going. There was no place else to go. When that went down, That's there was the only office down there. There was no other office down there but ours. And it was a complete duplicate of what was upstairs.
2: That's what was... So okay. Strange. So procedures, minor procedures could be done there.
3: You could yes. on an occasion. And I, I could count in all the years I worked there. I could count on one hand. How many times the other physician used it that I knew of, that I knew of.
2: Liz, what are some
3: surgical procedures
2: that might occur typically in an, any gynecological office?
3: Well, besides a GYN exam, or RNOB exam, a DNC could be done. They had a suction machine there. Okay. They could do cryosurgery, coscopies. What are those? Biopsies. Coposcopy is for someone if you had they were taking biopsies from the cervix because you had an abnormal pap smear. Okay, Cryosurgery was a procedure that was, if you had, when the biopsies would come back, it would show whatever the diagnosis was, they could treat that with cryosurgery, which was freezing of the cervix to kill the cells. They would die off and regrow and you'd have good cells again. We also then later on started doing intrauterine for, oh my God, and just lost track. And IUD? do? Oh, we always, we would put IUDs in. Yeah, we would do moves Excuse me. Something just crashed. Do you mind no. stopping for a second? Thank you. That just crashed.
1: Yeah, it sounded like glass breaking.
3: It sure did.
1: Yeah, it was very loud.
3: Oops. Yeah, I can't figure out where or what. But we all heard the glass shatter.
1: Yeah, it definitely did.
3: Yeah. That's a little scary, isn't it? Because it's sure to sound like glass shattering and there's no glass anywhere. That is creepy. I can't find anything. I'm looking at everything and there's nothing. Trip hope it's
2: not somebody turning over in their grave mad at you because you're talking about him. It's weird. You were talking about some of the surgeries that are typical. For a GYN, a DNC, we know that at St. Joseph's, there were some DNCs that were actually abortions. And in Catholic hospitals, abortions are not permitted. So is it your gut feeling that Richter was performing some illegal abortions?
3: Could I tell you if I knew, yes or no? I'd have to say, I have no idea. Okay. But I will tell you, I was always uncomfortable. About some of the things he did. Always very uncomfortable, or it made me feel uncomfortable. And then when I saw the keepers, my sisters called me right away because we all worked within the practice. One was with Dr. Nell, and then another one was at the Jessica office. So we all knew Dr. Richter. He was like family to us, he was literally like a father to all of us. When we heard it, we turned it on. And after we saw it, I thought I would be sick. And my sister called me and she said, all of us were talking together. She said, what do you think? Do you think he could have done it? And I, for the first time out of my mouth said, absolutely. Absolutely. And my gut said, absolutely. And it made me sick to say that. And I said to my sister, the other sister, and she said, I can't believe that he could have done anything like that. There's no way. There's no way. There's no way. And I said, do you really think? And the other sister, I said, what do you think? And she said, I hate to say this, but yeah. I'll never say that to anyone, that if it matters. But yeah, I do believe it. Did he ever ask you when he was examining a woman to leave the
2: room? If it was during regular hours and you were assisting him and you were in there?
3: No, he would never ask us to leave. Okay, he never asked you to leave. No, that's what was so odd about it. And this didn't happen once or twice. It was like a routine thing for a while. You mean after hours, after hours and stuff, or... On days when we didn't have hours, later in the day, or after he had retired. Oh, tell us about that. He had retired. He retired. I was, and I know exactly when he retired because I was at his retirement party. And it was the day my oldest son was due, his due date, which we passed. But that was July 12th, 1986. And that's when he retired. And he was still seeing random patients. only random ones after the retirement. And that went on for a long while until I left. Were they paying for the appointment? They weren't on the books. There was no paper trail. They were not on the books. No paper trail. Not on the books. And normally we would have office notes to type up because every other doctor, we had to type every office note. Liz, did
2: you ever interact with any of the younger women either on their way out or on their way in? You got
3: to remember, he would dismiss us. So we were usually gone by then. Okay. But do you ever remember seeing any of them leave like groggy or upset? Absolutely. When they left, but quiet, it was very odd. Didn't make eye contact, didn't speak, almost like ashamed or embarrassed. Kind of looked if someone was ashamed or embarrassed, they'd hold their head down. And that it was no, no small talk, no talk whatsoever. It was as if they were rushed in, rushed out. Like how much time would go by? For somebody to be in there and have some procedure. I'd be there for a while. Keep in mind, most of the design, it would be at the end. he, He would say, Your girls can leave. He wanted to make sure we were out the door and locked. We were out. After I spoke
2: with you, I spoke with some of the women who were taken to his office. And you had given me enough information that I could share with them what you shared with me. And one of them, I believe, emailed you. She might have wanted to talk to you about this, but she was a student nurse at the time. She emailed me and said she would like the talk, and I never heard any more from her. Okay. We're not going to use her name, but she shared with me that she was a student nurse at St. Joe's. And one night at about 11, Joseph Maskell brought three teenagers in, and she looked at their chart. And it said that it was being billed as a DNC, which
3: mm-hmm. would be for abnormal bleeding. You would never use it because that was against the policy. And she noticed on the their records that
2: they were all from Archbishop Gio, and he signed them all in. They were in cubicles next to each other, three of them, and he took them home about two o'clock in the morning. What would that mean to you? She believes that they were there for abortions. And she said that Richter was often there late at night and that Joseph Maskell was around the hospital a lot. Everybody knew him and he was real friendly with the nurses and everybody just, but she said she just freaked out. She went to her supervisor who said, don't worry about it. And the next day she was taken off that call and she was moved to another
3: unit. Right.
2: The head of nursing had a meeting with her and told her that she didn't think that she should become a nurse, that she wasn't made fit for it. So I believe that she caught him and these three young girls. And we don't know why they were having the abortions, but they were. And if all the sexual abuse was happening, those could have been his children that those girls were carrying. But this friend said that she said, I'm not leaving nursing, so get over that. She stuck it out and she was going to be in The Keepers and she was filmed, but she decided afterwards that because of her career, it probably wasn't a good idea because she was still working in nursing. She's very good. But she said she'll never forget looking at those records saying that they were brought in by Joseph Maskell and they were from Archbishop Keough High School. And he brought him in around 11 and took him home around two, told their parents they were running around on the streets after a dance. He had a lot of ways to manipulate. He had a lot of
3: influence. He had a lot of influence. Being a priest, you got to remember back then, being a priest is not like being a priest now. No. Being a priest back then was that was as close to God as you could get or questioned. You never asked. You looked up to those people. You looked up and respected them. And if no matter what they said, you believed. That's just just the way it was. And that's the same way it used to be about the doctors. You never questioned them either. If they said you needed something, you would go home and question it, but you would never say it to them.
2: I'm going to ask the next question. We're going to change track a little bit, and then Shane will finish up with the others. But you and I talked a while ago about the likelihood that he may have been a handler for the CIA MKUltra mind control program. And our listeners will remember that we had a guest. Her name was Lynn Shermer, and she recognized Richter in The Keepers as her handler and that he used a portable shock treatment box on some patients. And when I asked you about that, you described for me, without knowing what the box she talked about looked like, you described for me a box that he kept in his downstairs
3: office on the shelf behind his desk. First off, I had never even heard of this MKUltra until you said something to me about it. And that was after you had asked me to describe their offices, how it was laid out and all. Right. And Dr. Richter was someone who loved old, like vintage things, vintage like collector's items. Exactly. That would be in the medical field. That was in the OBGYN field. And when I described the office and all their back office, the doctors would share the main office. And of course, Dr. Richter had downstairs as well, but on the upstairs and all. And there was something you had asked me and I would, because I, I, I tell you, I can remember that office almost like the back of my hand. But I also remembered feeling how sick I was because I was so upset that day that I found out because I thought all this time I was protecting him and I never gave these young girls even a thought. And it made me sick. It still makes me sick because I was so stupid naive that I never thought to open my mouth and protect anyone. All I could think of was protecting his professional, his license himself, because he was a very prominent man and was very wrong in every way now. And I can't believe I did that. But when you had asked me to describe the office, he had vintage different things on the shelves, different books, the PDRs and stuff. And when I got to what was sitting, he had it on the back, If you were to go in his office, huge, beautiful, ornate desk that sat, big desk, behind him was like a bookcase, and it had shelves on it, big, beautiful bookcase. And it would sit in the back, what looked like an old vintage EKG machine, a portable EKG machine. And you had asked me, could I describe it? And when I remembered seeing it, it literally looked like it was a case that opened. It was black. You could take it with you as portable. And it looked like something that would be hooked up as for an EKG. What's an EKG? That would be to check the heart, the rhythm of the heart. Okay. It would go on different things, would go on different parts of the body, Would hook it up. And I thought that's it's really cool looking. And I, I loved looking at the vintage things. That's why I remembered it. And you said, can you describe it a little bit more? And when I did, that's what afterwards you had told me what you had just said. It was the very first time I ever heard of it. And it was portable. He could, t- and he would take it down. And it would be down when he was downstairs. It would be, so it was something that was moved. And I remember at seeing it moved. Did I ever know what it was? I never in a billion years thought it was actually used. I thought it was something that he had, it was an old vintage piece of machinery, medical m- machinery that he had purchased somewhere. And it may
2: be, it's just that it's such a coincidence that it matches exactly What Lynn told us, he used as shock treatments on her in a medical theater where scientists, doctors, and politicians would be sitting in like a medical theater. She was trafficked to NASA in Huntsville, and she said that's where she remembered him
3: taking her. Did he travel much? Dr. Richter traveled all the time. Absolutely. For Business, pleasure, what? He just traveled a lot. He also belonged to a club. What was it? I want to say like the Masons or something. I can't remember what it was. Really? And they belonged to a yacht club, a big yacht club. He had a big boat. Do you remember the name of the boat? No, I don't. Unless it was Charlotte. He had a daughter, Charlotte. But coincidental that I found out after all the keepers when my sisters and my mom and I were talking yeah, I don't know what this means and all, but what we found was very odd. And my mom had said about his first marriage. They, she always thought it was very odd that his first marriage, and I believe, and don't quote me, but for some reason, I want to say, I think her name was Arma, and she just died. And that was like, you never heard how. She wasn't sick, nothing. She just died. When you worked for him, was he married to her? And then she died. And then, and, and years later, he met someone else. Corinne. I remember her name was Corinne. And he had a daughter, Charlotte. But somebody told me somewhere that he had a son that I don't remember. Yeah, you know, what years did you work for him, Liz? Say, 81, 82?
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How's your social battery holding up? Mind's been draining lately, consumed by the darkness of true crime tales. But amidst the shadows, it's crucial to remember to prioritize our mental well being. Just like unraveling a twisted plot, therapy helps me untangle the knots in my mind. It's about gaining clarity, finding strength, and reclaiming control over your life. Considering therapy, BetterHelp offers a lifeline in the darkness. It's completely online giving you the freedom to seek help in your own terms. And with a simple questionnaire, you can be matched with a licensed therapist who understands your unique struggles. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Foul today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Foul, F-O-U-L. Looking for a new way to unwind after a long day? Say hello to Recess Mood, a healthier alternative that keeps your evening's light and your spirit high. With Recess Mood, you get the pleasure without the guilt. Made with real fruit and infused with mood-lifting magnesium and stress-balancing adaptogens, Recess Mood lets you relax without alcohol or hangovers. It's just 20 calories per can, has no added sugar, and comes in four delightful flavors like strawberry rose and raspberry lemon. I've tried these myself, and whether I'm chilling at home or need a moment during downtime chaos, Recess Mood is my go-to refreshment. It's truly a guilt-free way to unwind. And now there's something special for all our listeners. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com Shane and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement.
0: Excuse me
2: that's okay my dog here's hearing your dog that's funny so would you estimate about how many years you worked for him over 10 oh
3: really yeah so starting in 80s around 81 82 somewhere (laughs) around there i met him was through like i said through the family remember the candy stripers and all we had did all that. I did that at Church and Hospital, which no longer even exists now on Broadway. Started there. And from there, somehow, through family members, ended up at the Chesco office with Dr. Richter. So did you retire after 10 years or did you go somewhere else? No, I ended up doctor. By then, Dr. Richter had retired. I was married, was having children. I stayed with Dr. Moranya and Dr. Beretta for f- quite a few years. And then Dr. Barretta and Dr. Maranya had bought another doctor in, Dr. Molina, Raul Molina. He stayed for a little bit, don't know about how long. And then he left, went back home. Then Dr. Beretta and Dr. Maranya had split up. Something had happened between the two of them. Don't know. We always joke they got a divorce jokingly. And some of the staff went with Dr. Breda, and I went with Dr. Maranya.
2: Are any of those doctors still living, Nell, Maranya, or Breda.
3: Yeah, they are. Dr. Okay, Brian is retired. Dr. Furman Beretta, I don't know if he's still in practice or not, but he was up at Mercy the last time I heard.
2: Shane, I'm going to turn it over to you. There's a few other questions we have and anything else you want to ask?
1: Yeah, Liz. First, I want to know what your first impression of Dr. Richter was and did that change over time?
3: My impression of Dr. Richter was oh, he was amazing. He was a, amazing. I looked up to him. I completely looked up to him. When you worked with him, it was as if he not only would train you as and to be an assistant with him, she even trained you the way you spoke. For instance, I would say certain words and he'd say, Yeah, we're not gonna talk like that. He wanted you to talk very articulate. Articulate. Oh, he was very he demanded you to be articulate, demanded it. And he used to joke all the time, he was gonna beat knots on my head to teach me how to speak articulate. Like I said, we were very naive. We were Catholic girls ourselves. We were all Catholic girls, all of us. And we grew up with the beliefs that he was awesome. And that's why, like I said, I feel sick to my stomach to think that I knew something was wrong. I knew it was wrong. There were things he was doing that was wrong. And I would take it to their attention. And I was always told to mind my own business and be quiet. Don't say a word. Mind your own business. Everything is fine. What he's doing, you worry about you and they'll worry about him. And I used to get so upset. I'd go, But you don't understand. You know, he's going to get, he could lose his license. I was so naive that it never crossed my mind. Not even once did it cross my mind to what is happening to the girl in there. Just didn't cross my own mind. My opinion on the BIM never changed until I heard the keepers. And when I heard the keepers, I was crushed because I felt like everything that I thought made sense. Like, I thought these things, but I thought it was me. I was being bad, being wrong to think these things. Meanwhile, when I heard it out loud, it was like, oh my God, he did. He did. And I was sick. I was sick. Let me tell you something. Gemma, to this day, that's why I have put you off and put you all off for so long. I have put talking to you guys about this because I feel horrible talking about it. It makes me sick to talk about it. I feel like I shame on me that I could have stopped some of this and I was too stupid to know it. And it's really hard to accept. If this makes you feel any better, Liz, you were being manipulated too.
2: And he was a psychopath, and it sounds like a pedophile. And that's part of the grooming. All that talk about him doing noggies on your head and kidding around, and all that is part of the picture of somebody who is psychopathic and is taking advantage of the good people. And he left you with that guilt. You did the right thing. And I want our listeners to know that because you and I talked, you did go ahead and report all of this to our attorney general. It's been a long time, almost a year, I think. And I am blessed to know you, Liz, because I think you're an amazing person. And what happened was not your fault. So please, but it was wrong. It was wrong. But you didn't know that. You were being manipulated. That's what these people do. They take the good people in their lives and they make them feel bad or guilty or less than what they are. You did the right thing. You reported it and now you've reported it to the state's attorney and your report to him, Richard Wolf is going to go very far in taking down this whole pedophile ring that existed, and the clergy was part of it. And I would bet my retirement money, and I know I shouldn't make assumptions, I get knocked for speculating, I would bet my retirement money that one of the priests that brought those girls in was Joseph Maskell. And you would have no reason to recognize
3: him. He was like totally a non-memorable-looking dude. Would I say that could have been him? Sure, only because... I had the picture of him in my mind now from what I'd seen. Right. But, but he never signed in. He never wrote his name on anything. They were nice. They were desperate. They were desperate. It was wrong. It was wrong. In so many ways, it was wrong. The other thing, Liz, is that
2: by not allowing a medical assistant to help in that room when those girls were there, that prevented any of those girls from asking you for help because maskell was in. Teresa Lancaster has told us that he was in the room with he was in the room with them, with them while they were being examined and said to Teresa, she didn't know how to put her feet in the stirrups. Richter said, We have a new one here. We have a rookie here. See if you can help her with that. You never know what would have happened if he had allowed any of you to be in there. And you're not the only medical assistant that I've talked to. Another one told me he was so weird, she left almost immediately, that he went through a lot of assistance in different offices and that they didn't last long. And he was asked the names of the people that worked for him, and he said there were so many he couldn't remember. So please do not beat yourself up over
1: this. And just to add a little bit to that, Liz, I think knowing Dr. Richter and Father Maskell's ring If you would have reported that, that could have ruined your entire career at that point. They were a very strong, connected group of people. So I don't think anyone listening will fault you. I think a lot of people will see you as a very strong person who we're all thankful now is brave enough to speak out about it. And hopefully that will give more people the strength to speak out about it as well.
3: When I decided to do this, I... Couldn't tell anybody that I was talking to you at this point because my sisters and my moms think that I should not. They believe that this should not be opened up. This can of worms should not. Just don't get involved. But they know deep inside that it was wrong as well. They know it. It's very upsetting.
1: Liz, I'd like to ask you, do you have any advice for anyone who might be listening who may have had a traumatic experience with Dr. Richter?
3: Wasn't their fault. They did nothing wrong. I stood there and watched and didn't know I was doing anything wrong. So my God, they did nothing wrong. Don't ever, because and we're the guilty ones, not them. We're the guilty party. They're not. <laughs> makes me sad. So sad. Those girls did nothing wrong. They did exactly what I did. And we grew up, don't say anything. And, you know, it's wrong. The whole thing. It's, they did nothing wrong. Please don't ever let them. They need to let that go off their back. They need to let it go because they can't carry guilt for that. You tell them, you tell them. That's the truth. They can't carry guilt for that. They didn't do it. They were not in control of any of it. There was nothing they could do. I was the one that could have done something and couldn't do anything. I couldn't do anything. I tried. Those girls, and my heart is broke for every one of them, for every single one of them. I went to a Catholic school. It could have been me. It could have been me. It could have been any one of my sisters. I have three sisters. It could have been any one of them. And they have to let it go because they didn't do any single thing wrong. At all, nothing. And I'm so sorry. And I asked them to forgive me for not trying harder. And I have to carry that. And I tried. I thought I was didn't know what I was doing. I was stupid. How old were you? God, I was in my early twenties. I don't even think I was twenty, twenty one. Younger than Sister Kathy? They were stupid. They were taught how to act, how they taught us how to act and how to be. And that was one of the things Dr. Richter liked was because we were young. We had never worked anywhere else before. So he could train us the way he wanted us to be trained. That's what he did. I knew it was wrong, but I knew it was wrong. And I tried, but I didn't try hard enough.